and welcome back to episode 38 of Two Pre-Sales and a Pod. My name's Mark Green and I'm joined yet again on the microphones by Don, Tom and we've got a special guest, John Kerr. Welcome, John. Lovely to have you on today. And uh, we are talking about leading the leaders. And that's going to cover a lot of different topics. So we picked out some choice some choice ones for your delectation today stay around to the end you will find some actionable insights that you can take away and use at home uh but john welcome how are you it's been a while it's been a long time i am doing wonderfully well it's a, a fantastic friday or lunchtime here in the united states so uh all is good looking forward to spending some time with you three fine fellas Okay. So we thought, as Donia, so we thought we'd start off with um, you've got a book that's come out quite recently. Um, it's a few months ago now, isn't it? The Sales Engineer Manager's Handbook with uh, yourself and Chris Daly. I mean, just I think all of us, we had a little chat before the call. All of us are in awe of it. It's a brilliant handbook. It's the kind of thing an SE leader can kind of dip in, in and out of. Um, you know, how, how did it come about actually writing it? Oh, well, well, thank you. So for the rest of the world, it's a book and not a book. <laughs> that's the, <laughs> that, the Yorkshireman and Don coming out. Uh, so it, it actually came out through demand from the, the client base. So you know, I've been running the company for a while. And then one of my clients, um, John Parks, who then was the worldwide VP of pre-sales at McAfee, said, hey, you know, can you train my leadership team as well as the individual contributors that I have? And I said, sure. What do you want me to teach them? Um, and so, you know, we we, ha- we had a, a construct and the three plus one rules and everything else. Um, so Chris and I put together the, the the very first leadership class, and then over the years built more and more of them until it got to the point a few years ago when we said, hey, you know, we, we should write this down and actually you know, give it to everybody. So it's just it's this guy, this handbook for people who are thrust into this job and really have no clue what they should be doing other than a few online leadership classes that you know HR give them. Wow. So, so before we hit the record button, we were just chatting with John and John was saying this book's been hugely popular. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, don't say how many copies or whatever, but, you know, <laughs> there, there's a lot of people have, you know, have kind of bought this under using it and. Yeah, and we were talking about the fact that, and boy, oh boy, was it needed, was that, you know, all of us um, meeting kind of new uh, pre-sales leaders who've perhaps already, you know, been individual contributors and are now in their, you know, first management role. And maybe they're trying to be, you know, kind of player managers. But, you know, where do you go to get those kind of management skills? It's just not really been anything there before. So, you know, so the book is, you know, has been badly needed. Well, well, thank you. And that's really the, one of the major reasons that we wrote it. Um, and wh- one of the neat things about having it available on Amazon is you can almost track daily sales. Um, and so the, the other books, you know, the trusted advisor, sales engineer book and the main book sell, you know, twos, threes, fours and fives. This book, people buy in chunks of 20, 30, 40. So I envision, you know, some VP of you know, sales engineering just buying it for everyone in their team and distributing it, which seems to be what's happening. Um, so it, it's, it's it's wonderful to see. I'm, I'm thrilled and, and humbled by it at the same time. Well, I think there was quite a there, there are so many sales books out there. It's an industry that has been filled with sales mm-hmm. methodologies and buzzwords and um, you know, 
use this use this sales top tip book to to win over everybody else but winning over everybody else isn't the pre-sales way it it is win with everybody else that feels how Mm -hmm. pre-sales is at least at at least for me so to have a book that feels like you're part of part of the same mission and you're all in it together um really is quite valuable and it sits behind me at my desk here because to just to grab it and look something up again and have bookmarks don don's one is littered with bookmarks all over it is is indeed is is something more tangible than a pdf which technically has the information is you can search it control f um there's something more special about what we're all trying to do in this industry that a book does that i don't think a pdf ever would i i would agree with that and and chris and i really went out of our way to try and make it as job and role specific as possible um and full disclosure we learned that the hard way because when we first started doing this training we had to keep jumping over all these barriers that that the hr department would put in front of us saying, we already do manager training, right? Now, wh- why is yours different? So we had to make sure that everything was role-specific and all the case studies and the examples were role-specific as well. And we made it you know, geographically dispersed and everything else. Um, and, and to me, that was the beauty of it, is it really does cater to the, the role and you know, it's not you know, Winnie the Pooh does management. So. <laughs> Which, by the way, is actually a pretty good book. But anyway. <laughs> that would be a good book, yes. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing one of the hardest bits was picking th- the title – and choosing whether or not to put the sales engineer or the pre-sales or the solution consultant. Um, I know that we wanted to cover a bit about job titles. And, of course, there are so many these days disconnected, perhaps, from what we used to think of them as. Yes, there are. Uh, really, the reason Chris and I went with that title is just to continue the brand. right? So the first book, um, the main textbook, is the, the sales engineer's handbook mastering technical sales the follow-on book was the trusted advisor sales engineer so in order to you know keep true to the brand uh, we kept going with sales engineer as well um i of all the different titles out there I, that's personally the one that i like the best because i think it does encompass the two things that the role is designed to do i mean we are fundamentally salespeople, right it is our job to sell or to help somebody else sell and we are engineers because we fix things, um, we solve problems, and we try and make people happy. And I, I think if you really look at the role of the you know, ESE, that's what we do. So, so that's why I love that title, even though there are 40 or 50 other titles out there, depending which part of the world and industry and everything else that you do. <laughs> okay, yeah. Again, we were talking just before we hit record there about, you know, removing the pre from pre-sales you know pre-sales i don't know how it came about it's because it it doesn't really fit so well anymore we all know that you know and yet it's kind of like an encompassing thing so because we've got things like the pre-sales collective you know there are other things that that kind of use pre-sales but it's just a way a kind of encompassing way i don't not sure if everyone would agree that's the best kind of job title but what you know why do we have so many different job titles i mean you, you i mean you're working right across the kind of globe and you know, meeting all these challenges of, well, you can't use that. You'll have to use that word. You can't use engineer here. You can't use architect. That's a protected title. You know, and, 
you know, things like some people call themselves evangelists, which is going to cause a problem in, in some areas. You know, wh- why have we ended up with so many different titles, do you think? Well, what do you see in your organizations? I mean, a couple of you are practicing SE leaders there. I mean, what, what do you call your guys and girls? So, so I'm a solutions consultant, and mm-hmm. I think the reason that I really like that role, I think it's definitely more of a common job title, especially in Europe. I like it because it doesn't have the word sales in it. And I know you're saying we are fundamentally salespeople. We're driving revenue for our companies. But I sometimes think that with sales in your title, that's sometimes a bit of a turnoff for your prospects because they don't want to talk to a salesperson. They want to talk to, well, like the title of one of your books, a trusted advisor, don't they? So I think for me, that's why I love the term solutions consultant personally. But mm-hmm. I'd love to hear yeah. the other guys too. Yeah, well, well, so I'm a technology evangelist, which means I spend half my time doing my job and the other half explaining what my job even is. Um, but I've seen some interesting ones. Um, I, I've seen recently um, VP of Value Stream Architecture. Ooh. And, and whilst in that company, it may be absolutely perfect. Surely the purpose is for people to understand how you can help them. So I'm not quite sure that as a buyer, I would want to be, um, you know, I'm talking to the to a value, value stream architecture person. I, I might not know how that relates to me in the slightest. Yeah, that, that's certainly one of the, the better ones. Um, yeah, you know, Tom, I, I would actually disagree with you a little bit. I, I, I mean, my very first job as an SE, I date myself here, um, well over 30 years ago, my title was a sales support engineer. And I think in all the years that I was a individual contributor, manager, director, VP, everything else, I never really had somebody take issue with the fact that there was sales in my title um, because fundamentally what you are is you are, quote, not the salesperson. Right. You're that other guy or gal um, who is walking in and actually knows how everything works. Um, so I think Don calls you know, the title and the person that you really want to speak to. Um, is how customers think about you, uh, which, which is a mouthful to fit you know, at the bat- bottom of your email signature or you know, old-fashioned business cards. Um, yeah. So, so I, I, I think we should have – I like the fact that sales in the title, and I think we should wear it with pride. Um, now, pre-sales, right, different matter. Um, Don, I know you have some pretty interesting views on that. <laughs> oh, and, the pre, and yeah, pre-sales, whether, whether it – yeah. Especially, well, I think we'd agree with you. We're in a you know SaaS consumption kind of world. As a you know, the the, the sales models change completely. Mm-hmm. And what does it mean pre-sale anyway? You know, I, I was talking this morning with a company who you know primarily it's a consumption-based business, and there is no it's all the same thing. You know, it's it's all about um, you know convincing the client to um, you know to consume your services or move workloads onto you know onto your you know architecture and and then you know and then revisiting them with kind of you know more of a kind of value proposition of why they should move more in or trying to find you know an expansion and you know and and there's a retention side to it as well if it was just SaaS as well so it's you know our skill set I mean I've long argued this is that a real customer success person, if you actually look at what the client really wants, looks 85 to 90 percent like a pre-sales person anyway. And we should all just adjust to that, that that's actually reality. 
Oh, we so should. I mean, I was just part of a project that bought some software here, and the person I dealt with was a customer success person right from the get-go all the way through to making it, helping me make it land. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was talking to them right from the start as well. Um, and the account manager was called an account manager. And that's fine because they were the people I needed to go to to get the things signed. And actually, the reality of it is I, I just needed to know how they were part of what I was trying to do. Yeah, I know we shouldn't be skipping around so much, but I wanted to kind of just, you know, John being here and the fact that that John's got the book, the sales engineer manager's handbook, and just ask a really pertinent question. What is the biggest challenge SE leaders have got at the moment? You know, what is the one thing everyone's talking about? The one thing I hear loud and clear right now is they're having an issue with hiring and retention. Um Hiring because there are, by some estimates, there are about 40,000 open positions just here in the U.S. So if you extrapolate that globally using standard metrics, that means there's over 80,000 open SE positions around the world. Like, give or take 20% either way. So that's a lot. So people are scrambling to fill their headcount, which means that retention is super important. And given the fact that almost everybody has been at home for the last 18 months, um, that linkage that people have with their management team, um, you know, the feeling of you know, teamwork, collaboration, everything else, I think has weakened over the past 18 months. And so there's a lot more people flipping in and out of companies, moving around. Um, so just about every leader I speak to, that that's kind of the thing that is forefront right now is getting people and keeping the ones that they have. Yeah. I mean, you've got an acronym in the book, RADAR. Did you, you, could you explain that for us? Sure. Uh, so RADAR is the, the life cycle of uh, an SE. So RADAR stands for no, recruit, attract, develop, advance, and retain. Um, so re- recruit is building your pipeline. Attract is actually onboarding them, right? Develop, that's pretty self-evidentiary. So develop means make them better at what they're doing now. Advance means give them additional skills over and beyond what they're doing now, not even for their current job, but for the next job. And then retain is make sure you keep them. And they're keeping within the company. I mean, not necessarily keep them under your span of control, but keep them in the company. And everything that a manager does, you know, interacting with their team, um, you can kind of drop into one of those radar buckets. And you just neglect one of them, and it's painful. Wow, yeah. Another thing we kind of talked about just before the call there was that, and this seems to feed into it, which is, you know, attracting people. We were talking about um, the fact that, uh, uh, you know, as we come out of kind of things like lockdown and stuff and having to do things virtually, there is the opportunity to do, um, you know, meetings live with uh, clients. But what we seem to be saying is that most clients don't want to do that. They just want to carry on with this kind of virtual world. You know, a lot of people have talked about, well, we always knew it was going to be hybrid out the back of it, but, but really it's all about the virtual thing. And that maybe feeds into, you know, attracting talent um, in the, you know, now we're not so worried about whether, you know, we're in the UK, so whether someone can commute into London within one hour. Now we're more interested in are you in kind of roughly around about the same time zone, plus or minus one hour. We don't care about the geography. And um, I mean, you've seen that, you know, people being a lot more open and a lot more flexible about where they're looking for talent. 
Yeah, and it's working both ways. Um, so it's not just the time zone, but if, if you think about the not the recruit, but the the, the attract component of radar, um, you as a manager, right, have a brand. I mean, just as your company has a brand, you have a brand. So if you want somebody to come work for you, what's the first thing they're going to do now? Right? They're going to go check you out on facial media, um, facial media, social media. <laughs> <after> Facebook, <laughs> there. Um, wow. I'm going to yeah. start calling it that. Facial <laughs> media. <laughs> uh, so, so they'll check you out on LinkedIn, um, you know, Twitter, um, you know, do you have an Instagram account, whatever else, and see what your you know, your public persona is. Um, but then as they get a little further in the process, they're going to start talking to people who know you and maybe even people who work for you. And they're going to say, hey, you know, what, what's that fella Mark like uh, as a manager? Does he have my back? Is he interested in my career like what's his belief structure so they're all things that prospective you know, employees are going to start asking about you so it's far more of a two-way process now i think than it than it used to be and so you you can't just you know, attract it literally is that i mean there needs to be this this branding that you have that's going to bring people and attract people into you and you can't afford to neglect that anymore certainly and Hearing you talk about attracting people, um, I think so often companies have relied on the fact that um, we shall deem you acceptable and if we will pick the cream out of all of these these people that have applied um, and, uh, and we might look at your CV if you can make it pretty enough. Uh-huh. Now, I think the, the, uh, the shoe's on the other foot. It really is. I think companies really need to write job specs to get across so much. They really need more of an advert about who they are and what they are. So when you build your pipeline, it's got to be constant and you've got to be thinking about that. Mm -hmm. Well, Mark, I saw a fantastic example of that recently. Um, There was one VP of resales basically had put together an infographic about why you should come and work for his organization looking at sort of things like we've got a two-to-one ratio between pre-sales and account executives and this is how we're measured and this is how you'll develop and this these sort of this is why you should come and work here this is why our company should be attractive to you and i i thought that was fantastic because that's as as you said mark that's trying to attract people to your company rather than vice versa mm-hmm. are we allowed to say who that was i mean it, it's okay isn't it i think that that's service now isn't it yes yeah. yes there you go. Yep. it's okay and so yeah go and find out on linkedin and it's kind of out there you know it's publicly available and you know I, probably every company should do something like that i don't know what john what do you think I, I think if you want to hire the, the best you're, you're right um it, it's funny how things go full circle so 25 years ago Almost to the day, I wrote an article called Act Like You Care, right? So the pun on my name, the CIO magazine. And it was about how when you are recruiting people, you should treat every prospective employee just as you would treat a potential customer. And how many companies did not do that back in the mid nineties then? Um, I think the same thing applies is you know, if you're trying to onboard people now and attract them, I mean, you need to pay as much attention to them as you would for a prospect. You know, who is going to give you money because you know, sales engineers will help give you money as well. So it, it's a different mindset for many people, particularly in the HR and the recruiting side. Definitely. Well, and, it, and it, people used to sell themselves 
based on two pages on a CV, I don't think anyone spends a hundred grand on a piece of software without downside more than two pages on a CV. So selling a job where you're hoping that will affect a considerable amount of revenue for your company if what you're buying is the ability to increase revenue by a certain amount um people should be putting more into it than just um 13 lines of a job spec yeah i mean the, the average value of an se now is somewhere around like five million euros right? If, wow. if you if you ask an SE manager, like what happens if you lose one of your top performing SEs, what would be the impact on your business? And you look at everything from direct hard costs through opportunity costs. It's around five million euros. Right. So equate it five million dollars, five million pounds, whatever, around about there. So if you're an SE manager, and you've got eight people working for you. You're effectively got you know, 40 million dollars or pounds of assets as you were um who are you know you're leading i mean that's a tremendous responsibility that your company has has gifted you so i think that's another way of looking at it it's a really important decision folks <laughs> gosh yeah do, do you know what? so i'm going to cheekily go back because you've got the book and you know you've got all these kind of you know acronyms and uh, you know it really truly is a handbook you can dip it uh, you can dip in and out of um because you've got these figures to hand, those kind of things. So what do you think, um, what's the biggest challenge that SE leaders have got in measuring the value of their team? Because, I mean, you've been able to articulate that really well, which is, you know, the, the uh, pre-sales person, SE, is in, influencing, they're not closing it, is influencing a good word, they're influencing kind of $5 million, uh in kind of revenue per, per SE. The, are most, uh, you know, SE leaders able to kind of measure that and kind of prove the value and therefore be, and therefore kind of like justify expanding headcount? Are most able to do that or is it, what, what's the challenge with that, do you think? There's still a struggle around it. I mean, I, I had this conversation last week with a CRO at a mid-size um, software company. And so, so you start at the extreme. I mean, so you go back to, you know, the philosophy class that you took when you were 17 or at university or whatever. And you go to the extreme and say, well, j just imagine that all your pre-sales engineers you know, won the lottery, right? I don't like, you know, got run over by a bus, right? So, so won the lottery and like disappeared off to Hawaii and you never saw them again, right? What would be the impact on your business? And the CRO goes, oh my goodness. In fact, he used much stronger language than that. Um, he said, for a month or two, like we wouldn't see anything, and then you know it would be disaster. So wow. well, that—that's the value of an SE. Now it's a little ridiculous because you say, what, what would happen if you took away engineering or you took away support? Um, yeah. Of course, then I say, what happens if you take away marketing? And he says, yeah, I'm not sure about that one. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and then on the other extreme, you look at it at the edges. So what's the impact of losing one SE or gaining one SE in one of your strongest performing? markets um so so you can look at it kind of two philosophical extremes and just run it as a thought experiment or you know, or, or go talk to your top 10 percent you know performing reps you know and see what they say about the value of the sales engineers um then you can start drilling down and you can look at deals influenced um, you can look at retention rate customers got various metrics you can have around it. incremental consumption. Um, I, I believe that although reps might be the primary driver of the initial contract, 
it is the SEs or whatever you want to call them, the incremental um, and the ramping, so the onboarding and the consumption model. Um, so I think it's the SEs that do that together with your know, customer success managers or whatever you, you want to call them. And if they weren't around, that would not happen. Um, I, whether you want to end up with, you know, $4.917 million is the value of an SE. I don't think you can do that. Um, and I think it's a fool, Darren, if you try and measure it that exactly. Uh, but what you can measure is what happens if you don't have them. And then what happens if you have a really good one compared to a really poor one? Definitely. Definitely. Well, you know, um, we are we are speeding through these topics. Um, John, it's amazing how each one of the things that we talk about could end up as an hour's red herring about the thing that we love, because there's (laughs) there's so many things and there's so many. I mean, there are a considerable number of chapters in this book. Um, uh, you know, I'm just at 33, yeah. 33 chapters, each of which we are all, uh, you know, passionate about. Um, but if we had to pick some um, actionable insights for our wonderful listeners at home to uh, to to take, or not necessarily at home, you said you were listening to the Two Priests Thousand a Pod podcast whilst walking around. Yes. Um, so the actionable insight that I'm going to uh, pick is five million. Of value, I think it's really, really fascinating to understand the value that you can bring to an organization and then work out what that means to the hiring manager that you are going to, or as a hiring manager, understand that you are either that you could bring on that amount of effect. And I think that's that's sobering and exciting all at the same time. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm taking away the, you know, we asked the question of John there, you know, you said, what's the biggest challenge we've got right now? You know, it's retention and, and hiring. You know, it's such a hot market at the moment. It's just, it's just unbelievable. And, I'm, you know, I've said to people, if you want to get into pre-sales, you know, n- now is the time, you know, and, and it's not a technical thing. You know, you can come to it if you've got kind of like an industry domain value and people and communication skills, because, you know, all the tech companies that that's the best thing they can do. You know, they, they know how to train you on the technology. It's what else you bring to it. But if you want to get into this industry, now is the time with all these openings, 40,000 just in the USA. It's, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. And then I think my one, again, it, it is on that attracting best talent to your organization. We talked about um, the idea of having an infographic to attract people to come and apply to your organization, really selling why why it's going to be great coming to an organization rather than the other way around. I think that's definitely something that more and more organizations could be doing. Okay. Um, am I allowed to? Make sure you well, buy the book. <laughs> I, I will. Well, so one's for managers or one's for leaders and one's for individual contributors. So for the for the leaders is look at where you are spending your time. Um, and if you're not one of these calendar time management freaks, just for fun, for a couple of weeks after it's done, look at where your time goes and then map it back to the, the three plus one rules we have in the book. So there's you know, develop and serve your people, run your business as a business, delight your customers, then manage yourself. And just look at the spread. Um, and so if you're not devoting enough time to develop and serve your people, which is radar sits, right, recruit and attract, you know, that is a signal for long-term trouble. 
and you can neglect that in the short term. You neglect it for more than a few weeks and it will come back and bite you in the rear end. So you know, if you're an engineer, for goodness sake, measure where your time is going, just approximately. I mean, you're not a lawyer, right? But just measure it approximately and see where it is going. Um, secondly, for, for individuals, and we, we just very tangentially touched on this, um, you are the people that your customers want to hear from. And that means that sometimes you need to go solo. So a metric I used to have as a director and VP of pre-sales is I would ask the individual contributors, how many calls did you make by yourself when the sales rep was not present? Um, that was done intentionally. Um, because if you think about the old days, you would turn up in the lobby of a building, you'd meet with a few people, and then the rep would go meet with some people, and you as the SC would go meet with some people, you'd get together at lunch, and you just intertwine throughout the day. Um, if you are always on the Zoom, the Meet, um, the Teams together, there's never an opportunity for the SE to leverage their value and get the customer to tell them something they would never, ever tell a salesperson. Right? And good salespeople know that. So you don't always have to be joined at the hip, and you don't always have to be on the call for every single minute at the same time. So, and if you're a rep listening to this, like, let your SEs go. Like, let them run wild through the accounts. I mean, you should trust them and they will bring you back nuggets and information and leads and more business um, that you would never, ever, ever find out about. So if you love them, set them free. If you love them, set them free. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to finish a podcast. Oh, I know. Well, Tom and Don, as always, it's a pleasure to chat. John, an honour. Thank you for coming along. Oh, thank you. Look forward to the next time when you come back on. We'll have to get that lined up. But for the moment, um, to all our wonderful listeners, um, thank you for listening to episode 38 of Two Pre-Sales in a Pod. We look forward to welcoming you back for the next one. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Cheers. Bye-bye. <laughs>